Hello, you're a cheeky chop, and welcome to Movies Last Night. to all my fellow Movies Last Night listeners. It's me, Zach, your lovable southern moviegoer and reviewer, here with another MLN special report. So, the film we viewed and will be reviewing is Lana Wachowski's Matrix Resurrections, the fourth film in the Matrix franchise, and direct sequel to Lana and Lily Wachowski's first three Matrixes, uh, Matrix 1, Matrix Reloaded, and Matrix Revolutions released between 1999 and 2003, the original Matrix being definitely a genre-defining film of the late 90s. Resurrections brings the similar story focus kind of on two things. First being the messaging of control that the world, whether social media, news, or politics that's around us keeps us in check, so to speak, kind of in a cycle of everyday life, of waking up, going to work, uh, coming home, eating dinner, going to sleep. It definitely deals with our thoughts on reality, sex, love, tolerance, and compromise. The second focus being that of love, a love that breaks through all realities, all matrices, and finds itself in between two people separated by deceit and lies of a false reality. The Matrix Resurrections takes place 20 to 60 years after Neo and Trinity sacrifice themselves in Machine City to save the human city of Zion. The Matrix has been reset and Neo is now Thomas Anderson, an award-winning game designer of the video game trilogy The Matrix. Uh, Trinity has now been redesignated, so to speak, as Tiffany, a motorcycle-building mother of three And from there, Lana Wachowski attempts to create a believable, emotional, and moving love story based upon the fight that Neo must undertake to free Trinity from this new existence in the Matrix. All the while surrounded by obstacles, physical and mental, 
that the analyst, played by Neil Patrick Harris, throws in his way. With the help of Bugs and her crew, Neil attempts to move time and reality to bring Trinity back to the real truth and back to him. Well, alright. Let's start with my pre-screening expectations. Coming from someone who saw the first three Matrixes in theaters and owned the DVDs, the Blu-rays, the video games on PS2, I would say that my hope was extremely high. Uh, I remember going to the theater to see the first Matrix with my older brother, and I just remember geeking out as a moviegoer. The look, the story, the action scenes, the visual effects were just fantastic. For Resurrections, I kept myself from seeing trailers or reviews so that I could go into the theater fresh and unbiased because, yeah, like I said, I was pretty, uh, pretty hyped for this movie. So the credits roll, we walk out, and honestly, it's been a long time since I felt this way about a, a film, let alone a film franchise that I liked. Probably not since The Hobbit, Unexpected Journey, have I been so agitated and let down by a movie. I very, very, very much disliked Matrix Resurrections. I would have walked out, but I was with friends and I paid for the damn ticket, so I stayed. It's not even fun fan service, it's just straight up unnecessary. It adds no real interesting new story plots or unique new fighting choreography, which for me that defined half of what The Matrix was, was the innovative, innovative uh, choreography and fight scenes. It's a big mashup of old footage flashbacks, really bad drama killing humor, past its prime fight scenes, coffee shop scenes that take you out of it being an actual Matrix movie, rebooted and returning characters, some of which are decent, and a lackluster storyline between Neo and Trinity, which sucks because I really like the interactions between the two in the first three films. But with the Matrix and Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions already going into the ins and outs of the Matrix world and the machine world in the reality, it's kind of hard and it leaves Matrix Resurrections with thin subplots and storylines to go on. So here are a few cons and I guess you could call pros to the Matrix Resurrections. They are pretty random, I just kind of jotted them down as I was thinking about it while I was watching, uh, re-watching on HBO Max. So here we go. First one was when Bugs meets Morpheus, quote-unquote Morpheus, for the first time. It's like, they just got done fighting, all of a sudden Morpheus dude pulls Bugs into Neo's old apartment, and they talk a little bit, she asks, does he know who he is, and he just says, I'm Morpheus. And he, she just runs and gives him a big old Papa Bear hug like they've been best friends for all time. But why and how in the world does she just automatically believe that this is Morpheus and it's all good. Let's just offer him the pill and all that good stuff. Uh, next would be, yeah, when it comes to Publix brand Morpheus, why they didn't beg Lawrence Fishburne to come back, I have no fucking idea. He was so perfect. Serious, strong, commanding performance and presence, and you really believed his zeal when it came to his beliefs in Neo and the One. Fishburne for me is unequaled in terms of on screen believability as Morpheus. 
With this version of Morpheus played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, this character lost all chance of me taking him seriously as a really strong character. Uh, when the comedy bit started happening after he took the red pill and he starts having kind of that drunken phase uh, and he just has a really goofy laugh in front of the agents in the key shop that just I was just like forget this dude uh, also the original Morpheus had a far better fashion designer when it came to just his clothing it was distracting in the Resurrections movie but it also seemed uh, lazy and thin story wise about how Public's version Morpheus finds out about the Matrix and that he's in it. A steamy shower mirror, come on, come on, man. And then all of a sudden he just knows that he has to find Neo. Thanks for the easy fucking explanation. It's about as interesting or as engaging as me getting out of the shower, looking in the mirror, and realizing that I really need a gas station hot dog. Next would be the lighting and overall look of the Matrix itself in the Resurrections movie. So the original Matrix had a very unique look. Everything color-wise was kind of toned down. Uh, the nighttime scenes have that yellow, green, grayish hue to it uh, that kind of gives you a, just that Matrix green, it kind of just reinforces that you're inside of a alternate universe. Uh, it mixes well with the black leather and the suits of the agents. It gives it kind of this BDSM hacker look opposite the crisp, you know, stringent agent look. The daytime scenes from the original Matrixes just have a very similar hazy yellow-green sh uh, shot. So it just, it looks uniform and it looks very uh, interesting and unique. All except for the one, the lady in red in uh, Matrix 1. That was kind of like, for me, it was like a very bright uh, dash of color. Then in Zion, you know, in the original Matrixes, you have the really good metal grays. Uh, the clothes are really toned down. A lot of reds, dark oranges, browns, maroons. So visually, the originals look great. You want to know how Resurrections looked? Like a run-of-the-mill, super HD bright, just crisp, unoriginal, uninspiring, too much color cow pie. There were far too many HD bright sunshine scenes for me to enjoy this as a Matrix movie, uh, especially at the beginning with the scenes in his gamer job environment. It turned it just into a visually disappointing movie. It just seemed like it was just a regular looking modern day movie. Uh, and you're thinking, Lana Wachowski, this is going to be just great cinematography and it's going to have that look that the other ones had, but kind of just a generic HD look. Next on the list of donkey dung is what they did to my favorite character, Agent Smith. What in the actual fuck? You had a Hugo Weaving actor as the original Agent Smith, and you couldn't get him either to reprise his role in any manner. How he pronunciates the words, the tones of his voice in the first three Matrixes, his mannerisms, his facial responses, made that villain believable and relatable in some weird ways. The new and improved Smith, played by Jonathan Groff, has no intensity for me or anything dangerous about him. He's more of a cocky uh, asshole that you really don't care about paying attention to or worry uh, for Neo's safety just because of the way he plays the character, even in the fight scenes. The final thing that bothered me was the constant use of flashback scenes or visuals from the original while they're 
going through the movie, uh, it got to the point where it was distracting and seemed like they were just filler to try to draw out the movie because all the stories and end games that were really interesting had pretty much been played out in the first three films. And it kind of hurt the film in my opinion because all it kept reminding me was how good the originals were. Uh, and the last one is P.S. I just gotta say, this is a very important P.S., folks. Do you think Neo's shoulders hurt? Did he need some blue emu? Because every time he put up his hands to stop those bullets, it got to the point where you started feeling bad for his body. I mean, that was the thing. How many bullets can you stop in this second half of the movie? That's all he does. That's all he does. I swear to God, that's all he does. So, positive. I will say a few positive things about Matrix Resurrections. First being the special effects. Especially in the city of Io, in the real world, uh, its scale and scope are pretty freaking awesome. And the effects with the machines that help the humans evolve, along with that cool magnetic uh, spheres that help Matrix programs materialize in the real world, uh, aka Kmart Morpheus, that's one thing that can never be denied, is that the effects in a Matrix movie, no matter which one it's going to be, is going to be great. The only other thing I thought was interesting that had to do with uh, the movie was how they did his resemblance in The Matrix compared to real life. Uh, there's scenes where you see Thomas Anderson in mirrors and you get to see what he looks like, but then in another form, uh, you see what he sees himself as. And I liked how they explained that in the movie. So in the end, I only have one word to say about Matrix Resurrections. Bullet time. I give it a three out of 10. Just watch the first three, use your imagination, and come up with a fourth one yourself. I'm sure it'll be just as entertaining. So, Eric, Scott, fun as always, back to you. Before we get into it, Jason, I just want to tell you a funny story real quick. Um, so about two weeks ago, I went to get a COVID test, which is unfortunately a reality that most people have to go through right now. Um, so Indeed. anyway, I go through and it's one of those drive-in um, COVID testing sites where you don't you don't actually interact with anybody outside of your car. You know what I mean? So, yeah, they just give you a, a swab and have you do it yourself, right? Uh, actually, they do the swab, but you just stick your head out the window, which I thought was kind of weird. Oh. Uh, it's kind of weird. So anyway, I, I'm in the line, and there's like three or four cars ahead of me, and I'm waiting there. And after about 10 minutes, uh, the nurse comes out to take my in initial information uh, before the doctor sees me. Um, so she taps on the window, uh, rides down the window, and she goes, uh, I went down the window, and she goes, 
Mr. Anderson, like that, and starts laughing. <laughs> and then I'm, and, I'm, and then she's like, oh, I bet you haven't heard that one before. And I was like, yeah, I haven't heard that one before. And she was laughing about it. Anyway, so she's like, okay, she took my, my nose swab and she goes to Dr. LC in a bit. So I wait another 20 minutes for the doctor to come out and see me. Uh, tap on the window, doctor, as soon as I wind my window down. Mr. Anderson, same thing. <laughs> and he thought it was hilarious. Um, and he was like, I'm sorry, you must get that all the time on me. Yeah, I do. And he goes, well, especially now that the new Matrix is out. And I was like, yep, especially now that the new Matrix is out. So that's pretty much been the story of my life since like 1999. Um, I just thought I'd share that with everybody listening. Well, hey, I mean, if you got to share a name with a, a an iconic character, Neo is not a bad one to have one. I know, totally. I mean, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I just think it was pretty funny. Um, okay, so enough of that. Uh, we're going to be talking about, if you couldn't tell, the Matrix Resurrections today, and just the Matrix in general, I suppose. So before we start getting into it, and we start getting into the nitty gritty. Um, Jason, I just want to ask you. Um, I know that you're not as familiar with the Wachowskis back catalogue as, as I am. Um, so no. we'll not really go too much into the movies. Out of curiosity, wh- which ones have you seen? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've only seen The Matrix, uh, the original trilogy, and then this new one by the Wachowskis. I don't know if I might have seen some something else by them and just not realized it. it was but by them. as far as I'm aware, no. Okay, interesting. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, the only thing that I am aware of is that the Wachowskis did the, uh, I believe it's a TV show, Sense8, which... Correct. I, yep. I watched, I think I watched like the first episode of that. Mm-hmm. It was pretty interesting. I, I always meant to get back into it, and then I just never did. Uh, but I am aware that a lot of the cast uh, from that, or at least a few of the cast members from Sense8 made their way into this new film. Yeah, you're right. They did. And what's funny is I haven't seen any Sense8. Um, so I keep hearing people, but like, as I, as I watch stuff on, on the matrix, people will be like, Oh, this guy from sensei or this girl from sensei's in it. Um, so I get, right. I guess there's quite a few, but yeah, I think like uh, of their catalog, um, the one movie I think that really ties into anything to do with the matrix, not in terms of like theme or anything, um, but in terms of style and stylization is their first movie, which is uh, a movie called bound, which is like a, um, it's like a smaller budget. Um, it's a like a crime thriller with two women who uh, like basically um, rob from the mafia and uh, they steal some money and then they, they get trapped and then basically have to try and get out of a really, really bad situation that keeps, keeps escalating further and further. And it's kind of filmed in an apartment building between two apartments. Um, and one thing it has in common is that Joe Pantalonio, I think that's how it pronounces his name, um, who is Cypher, as everybody recognizes from the first Matrix movie. Uh, he's the main character actor in the movie. Um, but there is definitely a like a lingering um, stylistic aspect of their movie making that went into the Matrix. So like the leather okay. and the kind of like the kind of like heightened sexuality of the first Matrix is definitely like a lead on from that first movie. But other than that, yeah, I don't think anything that they've done post the Matrix movies um, really, really is... Uh, of too much relevance to this conversation that we're going to have. So we'll just kind of skip by that. But I am interested in knowing um, your history with the Matrix movies and just the Matrix in general and where 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 you were in your life when you first saw it, um, any big fond memories of seeing the movies or like as it, and like rewatching it over the years. So I'm just going to shoot to you so you can kind of give me a backstory on that. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, the first one obviously came out in 99. Uh, at that point, I was still kind of a youngin. I think I was in middle school, seventh grade, I want to say. So I don't re- think I actually saw the film initially until probably before the second one came out. Um, I don't think I saw any of them in theaters. Um well, no, actually, I did see the the third one in theaters. Um, but yeah, no, I was really, uh, really just blown away by the whole, I don't know, I guess you can just say the coolness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody running around in black leather trench coats, doing flips off the walls and, you know, the whole bullet time thing. Yeah, that was the iconic thing. And it was super cool. Um I was definitely uh, really into it after I finally got to see the movies. Uh, and I remember the, the video game Enter the Matrix came out, mm-hmm. uh, which, if I remember correctly, was kind of more revolved around the second film. Yes. Rather than uh, the, all, the whole entire trilogy. But that game was awesome. I played that thing for hours. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of always been around, but... Uh, over the past few years, I'll, I would occasionally go back and watch it. Um, it's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's definitely up there. Mm-hmm. So, I definitely, definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think the, I think the video game. I'm not super familiar. I, I did play the game when it came out, but I think it focuses around Niobe. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's like kind of like a, ta- a tangential uh, story that runs parallel. Now, I don't know if that the storyline from that game is canon, in which is we can get into that later on. But I don't I, know. I don't really think so. I mean, it did follow the events of the movie, um, like trying to shut and blow up the reactor and all that type of stuff. Uh, but like you said, it was focused on Naobi, so. Uh, it really kind of followed her whenever she wasn't on screen in the movies, so they could kind of get away with whatever they wanted it to at that point. Yeah, for sure. Because you don't actually play as Neo, do you? Um, I don't think so. I don't think no. so. No, it's been so long. I mean, that that's like yeah. forever ago on the PlayStation Two. I think. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, like I I'm a little bit older than you. Um, so uh, my I guess how the matrix is introduced to me was actually pretty funny. There used to be a a late night, wasn't too late night, but uh, once a week uh, there was a a famous uh, British TV host called Barry Norman. That was his name. And he was kind of like the British uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, And he had a show and I forgot what it was called. It was like, something movie or like movie time or whatever with Barry Norman. Um, anyway, I used to watch it when I was a kid because I love movies. And the reason why I used to watch it is this is pre-internet. So I didn't have access to trailers for new movies. And what he used to do on his show is he would drop uh, towards the end of the show, they would actually play trailers for movies that were coming out in America. Obviously the, back mm. then there was still a huge time difference between when we got movies and you got movies. So you guys would get them right. first and then depending on the movie, we get it like up to th- sometimes up to six months later. Um, oh wow yeah so the that long yeah it was quite a bit of a delay hence why piracy was so rife with like VHS piracy um, because it was such a gap before we got a lot of stuff so I remember watching it one night and um, the he had a little bit of an article on the Matrix he showed the trailer for the Matrix and he showed some clips for the Matrix and then it was also 
at the time discussing the controversy surrounding the Matrix when it came up uh, regarding how violent it was or the um, the regular use of uh, like how much firearms are in it and how much bullets and whatever. Um, and I know at the time when it came out, there was a little bit of a blowback in the press about it. So he was kind of covering, he was like, hey, this movie's really hot in America right now. There's some, you know what I mean? And like showed the trailer. And I remember watching the trailer and I was like, holy shit, that looks amazing. Like it looks like nothing else I'd ever seen, nothing else that was out at the time. And uh, so I was like, as a younger person, I was like super psyched to see it. So I saw The Matrix I believe more or less opening day and it came out in the theater um, and then every movie since. So like uh, uh, Reloaded, uh, Revolutions, it, it, day and day, as soon as it came out in the theater, I saw them. Um, first movie, fell in love with it instantly. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, around the time when DVDs first started getting sold, um, DVDs were pretty expensive. DVD players were prohibitively expensive. This is pre yeah, PlayStation. I remember two. that. Yeah. So I spent a lot of money on a DVD player. I think I've told this story before. Uh, a lot of money on a DVD player and I could only buy so many DVDs because of the cost of them and me just being a younger person. So one of the DVDs I bought was The Matrix, which is a pretty famous DVD um, in terms of like had so much extra fe features on, bonus features. Um, they also released the Animatrix at the same time, I think, on a separate disc. Yeah, I remember that. So I have... The reason I've seen The Matrix so much is because it's one of the few DVDs I actually owned immediately. So I would watch those movies like constantly. Um, so I've over the years, I've probably seen The Matrix, I'm guessing close to like in excess of 30 times right the way through. Easy. Um, <laughs> the first movie. And then so my hype going into the sequel was super high. Um, and I, I vividly remember going to see the sequel with a friend of mine who I was working with at the time. And um, we both came out of the movie and we're both kind of like, I don't know if I loved it. I don't know if I did, hated it. I don't really know how I stand. And that was probably my mm -hmm. first experience growing up um, getting into movies in like having an experience like that with a blockbuster, with something that was big right. to be so kind of like I unsure about it, which I think is a really fascinating place to be with any kind of art when you're unsure on whether, you know, your initial viewing of it leaves you with like, kind of right down the middle because then you have room to grow right. you know you can especially when it's uh you know something that like the previous movie the first matrix was something that was so you know so beloved and so treasured mm -hmm. and then you have the next one come out and you're like eh, yeah it's eh. totally because i mean your hype is so high and it's like how could you not how could this not be as cool now over time reloaded has become probably my favorite movie just because of how weird yeah. how kind of weird it is how how much they've really just kind of push the law like super hardcore with it and like they kind of go like very very deep into the, the the philosophy of the matrix um so over time as an adult yeah it's become my favorite obviously the first one is arguably the best movie um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna de yeah. deny that um it's just yeah more of a i think everybody thing. would go against you if you did say that oh yeah for sure <laughs> and i get it and like i get it like i i get I get that uh, the tiering system, it makes sense. Like in Revolutions, obviously being the worst, I think the weakest of the three, uh, mm -hmm. but still. I think most would agree with that. Still interesting, still has some. So even when it's failing, it's doing something interesting. So like at no point am I bored by the Matrix. I do get confused by the Matrix and I do get frustrated with the Matrix, but I never get bored, which I think uh, is something we'll, we'll, we'll get into when we, we start talking about the new movie. So. Um, gotcha. 
Is there anything like um, from the original trilogy that really sticks out to you? Like, do you have like favorite characters, favorite plot points? Like, what what about those movies like really sticks out as being like why you 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 still love the movie? Um, honestly, the first like the first sequence, the first half, I guess you could say, of the first movie is always what really draws me back in if I go to rewatch the uh, the series, how it's just random programmer dude, and then suddenly all this stuff starts happening. Um, I think it's, it's around the time where uh, they put the tracker in him, mm-hmm. and then the next scene where they're, uh, or rather uh, that same scene where the, like his mouth melts shut, mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't breathe, can't talk, kind of a thing. Like that's just such an iconic scene for me. And then with the the car ride when they pull it out, and he's like, "That thing's real." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I think that that's definitely one of the most uh, iconic scenes for me. Is just his initial awakening to the Matrix. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um. But then after that, when he starts uh, getting his powers in the second movie and really exploring those powers, that's uh, obviously the you know the next really fun part of watching is just what can he do, and how the heck is he going to get out of this kind of a thing? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I, I think that's what's really great about the first Matrix. No matter how many times you watch it, the the setup and the introduction of Neo. Um, or Thomas Anderson, I guess, before he becomes Neo. Um, mm-hmm. um, the introduction of him from his, his crappy day job, office job, uh, and his, yeah. his late night uh, hacking exploits, it never fails. Every single time you watch the movie, it, it never fails to get its hooks back in you because it's so well done. And it, it, it introduces yeah. the world in such a way and it's paced. So, like, it always works. It's like, even though you've seen it a hundred times, you're like... Every time you watch it, you're like, okay, I'm riveted. Let's keep going. You know what I mean? Cause- yeah, especially that uh, the scene where he gets the phone call from Ma- uh, from Morpheus when he's in the office. Yeah. And he's like crouched down going from cubicle to cubicle, to cubicle and barely missing the attention of the agents the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the tension in that scene, like it'll get you every time. Yeah, it's expertly done. And I think because of that... That's why we're still talking about this movie now. This is why there's a fourth movie, um, because there's something about that first movie that it just it just works. It's almost there's no fat on the movie at all. It's uh, it it tells a story, and it's a very interesting story, and it and it tells that story in almost like a flawless, perfect way. It's 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 very clean. There's no fat. Um, it keeps moving at a pace, and it keeps you want to stay up with the pace of the movie. Not only that, we're talking about world class. First time uh, special effects. You it was the introduction of the bullet time, the sweeping camera technique. Yeah, because they they invented the uh, they invented that system with the three sixty camera setup yep. to where they could um, use uh, computers to generate an image in between the two cameras, mm-hmm. which like that was the major thing for them. And so yeah, that that f- scene where he's leaning backwards and as Smith is like shooting and that's the first time that Neo moves that fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That scene is just, it's, it's incredible. And without that technology, it would never be possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, the movie also ends, I suppose on 
it, it kind of has a perfect ending. So they could have actually gotten away with just making one Matrix movie because it the movie is so open at the end and, and it's so full of possibility that it, it just lets your mind race and go to what you think was going to happen next. Um, all of a sudden when Neo starts to fully get into his powers and he's fighting um smith and all of a sudden it just becomes effortless for him um it's Mm -hmm. it's such a cool introduction of that and then because you they keep ratcheting the tension so it gets the point where you're like how's he gonna get out of this like he's getting his ass whooped by smith on the subway station how's he gonna get out of he has to get back and then um the way it just keeps... And then as soon as you think he's dead... Exactly. <laughs> he stands back up. Yeah. And in a way that I guess at the time, like, when you're watching it, you're like, holy shit. Like, then it, all, all of a sudden you start to fill in the blank and you're like, well, what can he do? What can't he do? Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing more so than when at the end of the movie where he basically flies up into the sky and you're like, wow. Okay. So as a, as a self-contained movie, it would totally work. Um, what ended up happening... It in- would... It would, but I doubt any of uh, the Wachowski's fans would have let it stand at that. Oh, for sure. And, <laughs> I mean, and the success, it was so successful. The studio is going to be like, you've got to make another one of these. You have to make another one of these. Yep. Um, because let's not forget, while we're talking about it too, culturally, the effect of The Matrix culturally is huge. Not only on mm-hmm. movies that came after The Matrix. I mean, for years after The Matrix, how many how many movies kind of like mocked bullet time? How many movies kind of like aped the style of The Matrix, the the, yeah. the kung fu, the gung fu? I don't know, like movies like Equilibrium. Yep. Equilibrium, so, yeah. that's what I was about to say. Equilibrium. And I, I think uh, Underworld kind of did that exactly. to an extent as well with their uh, with their costumes yeah, it just ripped its way through pop culture, like, entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, for good and for bad, then you start, you go through, to, like, obviously, the movie does have a connection and a link, unfortunately, to the Columbine uh, shooting. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, the movie itself just, it, 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 it became bigger than just a film. It became a cultural event, in a way, um, that... To this day, we still we, we still owe a lot of things to The Matrix to this day, especially for sci-fi action movies. Um, and I feel like that's never going to go away. Its legacy is always going to be huge um, going forward. Yeah, I'll agree. It's kind of like uh, what what the original Star Wars did for like physical special effects, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. The, the first Matrix movie kind of did that for the computing world of... Uh, special effects in a sense at least for in my opinion it did oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure a lot of like um progressions were made in 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 like uh visual effects and like probably inspired a lot of kids to get into making visual effects and then you know down the line mm-hmm. started working on movies themselves and then also one other thing that kind of gets overlooked with the matrix especially like all three movies the the, the original trilogy is this was a, the first time that a lot of people and I'm not talking about everybody, but a lot of people were really introduced to like wirework kung fu style uh, choreography um, in the in the West in a mainstream movie um, because obviously this predates Crouching Tiger too, uh, the first Matrix movie. Um, so that I don't think about that. Yeah, that's pretty revolutionary at the time. Like, if you were aware of uh, Hong Kong cinema, you'd probably seen a lot of um, Wu Ping's work. Wu Ping is the action uh, choreographer on the original trilogy. Um, and fun story about him is 
he was approached they they asked him to do the movie and he was like not interested at all and then i guess uh the only reason he said he would do it is they were like you can do anything you want like anything you want so he was like okay <laughs> and it, so he brought his team total legends experts in the field and he was like what this is what we're going to do so like the, and it gets often overlooked but it also as we'll get into when we talk about the uh, resurrections a lot of what's interesting that's getting thrown back about resurrections is the the uh action choreography um so it's obviously played a bigger impact than people think it has because even today now people are like well the action's not as good as it is in the first one and that's because it was it was pretty revolutionary to see that in a, in a, in a, in a a mainstream Hollywood movie outside of like yeah. the, the VHS stores when you're renting Jackie Chan movies or whatever, you know? True. Yeah. I can, I can see that. So back in the day, it was very, very fresh. It was something new, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly fresh or new today. So even if they're doing the same stuff, it just kind of seems a little dated. I can, I can see that. Oh yeah. For sure. But, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's still top notch. Oh yeah. I mean like, yeah, no, it's everything in the first movie more or less stands up perfectly. The the CGI still holds up. Um, pretty much everything in the first movie holds up. I would say you could argue that the CGI does as they start to push the CGI a bit more in the sequels, that doesn't hold up uh-huh. as well. But I think that's a case of they were just overreaching and trying to get as like push yeah. as far as it could, what, you know, they knew what they were trying to do. And they did their best with it, but the technology as far as what you could do with effects weren't exactly quite all there yet. So there was a lot of like the the generic like ripple effects mm-hmm. that they would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that which you know looked cool at the time, but it, you know nowadays we know it's that's like that's child's play as far as special effects goes. Oh yeah, for sure. I still think me, and this is just me personally. I think that. Um, the best way to use uh, CGI is to blend it as much as possible. Like, um, and I feel like that's, I don't think they've fully realized that yet, but like say in a movie like June, I think they did a pretty good job of that. Um, this, this most recent June is like, yeah, you've got to use it, but you've also got to kind of like hide that you're using it in a way. And then it becomes more. It's effective. kind of like, uh, it's kind of like in the music industry these days uh, with auto tune. Yeah. If when auto-tune is done well, you can't tell it's there. Exactly. Unless it's something like T-Pain where you're <laughs> overly doing it as an effect for a reason. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, yeah, when it's done properly, you can't tell the auto-tune's even there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, then. So we've kind of waxed uh, poetic about the um, at least the first movie and, and a bit on the, on the sequels. Um, I suppose let's just get into it because we... I mean, we're here to talk about Resurrections. So... Indeed we are. I'm just going to throw it to you first. This is kind of how I usually do it with Eric anyway. Um, give me your expectation. Like, what were your expectations? Because I saw this movie with you in the theatre. So you, your first time seeing yes. it was with me in the theatre. Um, so where were you at hype-wise going into it? And then just give me give me your initial impressions from your first viewing. Sure. Um, so like I did with, like I do with most movies that I am like really into or anticipating to watch, I did not watch any of the trailers or at least I tried to avoid them as much as possible. Um, but that being said, of course the matrix is amazing. And so, yeah, my hype level was pretty high up there. Uh, and I, 
it did get to me that, you know, this was going to be Neo back in the Matrix, yada, yada, yada. So I didn't know what was going to happen, but I tried to keep everything fairly neutral. I didn't want to be like super pumped about it. And then because every time that I do that, I come out kind of disappointed. And then I didn't want to think that it was, you know, just going to be crap because then when I go in, that's going to taint what I actually think and how I feel about the movie. Um, so mild excitement, of course I was hyped. Um, then when I came out of the film, I, I really qu quite liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, was it the best matrix? No, obviously not. Uh, but I do think it was better than the third film in my opinion. So yeah, I liked it. So did your, um, I, now obviously the beauty about, um, 2021 when we saw this movie 2022 now is we had the ability to watch the movie in the theater and then come home and then watch it at our leisure in yes. beautiful 4k on our hd tvs um so which is you don't you often you don't really like this is i can't remember a time when i've been able to do that like i've never been able to do that before mm -mm. and no what it's not while it's still in theaters exactly and i feel like what it's really opened up is um it's given movies kind of like a new lease of life for me in a way, because I can have my first experience with it. And then I'm able to like re reevaluate almost immediately. I can, I can rewatch it. Mm -hmm. And then I can kind of like start to study a movie a bit more rather than having to try and book to see it again at the theater and like go through the whole rigmarole of doing that. Um, so you started, you've obviously rewatched the movie. So how many times have you seen the movie now since I've, I've seen it three times. Okay, cool. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, like I said, I did enjoy it when I came out of it. Uh, but for like a week there, I honestly had no desire to see it again. Mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't because I disliked the film. I guess it was more of, uh, I don't know if it was a combination of like, there was just so much stuff that I didn't understand versus uh, just being matrixed out. <laughs> cause, yeah. Because uh, before we went in to see it, I, I rewatched the entire trilogy before that. Um, so I, I just had to put everything off to the side. I was like, I don't want to do this now, even though I knew that <laughs> I really needed to. But that being said, whenever I popped it back on on HBO, it instantly kind of hooked me back in. After you know, after the, I kind of had to force myself to watch the first. 10 minutes, I guess you could say, because the, the opening seat, the opening half of the movie, the first hour is, or at least it was my least favorite part of the movie mm -hmm. until things really started to kick off. Um, but after 10 minutes of watching it, it just kind of sucked you right back in. And then with it being able to, uh, being able to watch it at home, I have the ability to pause and also put on subtitles. Yeah which was kind of big for me because there were certain points in the movie, like when um, Bugs offers Morpheus the pills mm -hmm. and then he asks, like, you know, why should I do this or something? I forget what he asked. But anyway, she goes off on this little, like, five-second tirade about her experience whenever she was offered the pills. And she goes at a million miles an hour when she's talking. <laughs> In the theaters, I had no clue what she was saying. Yeah. Like, honestly, it, it went in one ear, out the other, and I was just like, okay, I'll figure that out later. 
so that was nice being able to put on subtitles and watch that. And also being able to pause and really look at things and being like, okay, what is this? Because everything flashes. It goes by you so fast. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's so much information in all of those scenes that just fly right by. The first half of the movie, or like the the opening 30 minutes of the movie, um, is like a a barrage on the senses. Um, And it's almost, what I find interesting about it is that the movie doesn't hold your hand at all. It just kind of just, no. it just goes in, in, um, so there's so much happening visually. Um, what you see, you, you've also, you've got the movie itself mimicking and semi replicating the opening of the original movie whilst doing it differently, whilst simultaneously introducing new cast members who are watching the the scene with you in a way so like it's kind of like it's overwhelming and i can understand a lot of people when the movie starts being like what what's going on like that's not trinity why is that not trinity um you know what i mean where's 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 agent smith that's not agent smith um or like where you know what i mean like so it's doing some pretty interesting stuff but what i think's great is yeah it's not holding your hand at all in the movie, Mm-mm. in a way, for the whole movie, it doesn't hold your hand at all. And I feel like that's why this movie really benefits from multiple watches, because you start to be able to keep up with the movie and you can start to try and like decipher it as it as it goes. Um, so I think, yeah, that's an interesting point that you, you raised about having the chance to do that at home. Um, I've seen the movie seven times now. Um, which is <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Um, that's kind of nuts. Yeah. And I it's it, I almost feel like I know less about it now than I did on like my fourth viewing of it because I get like so like sidetracked with certain things that like mm-hmm. you know it's it, it's difficult for me to like fully form the movie in my head and I feel like it's something I'm going to be going on for like for years just you know you've looked into it so much that it's now just an amalgamation of tangents exactly yeah <laughs> it's become it's kind of become like a big blur um so okay so what did you like about the movie like what do you think of the movie's biggest strengths? Um, honestly, I hmm, it's kind of hard to pin down into like one major strength because there's a lot of things that are kind of pros and cons about the whole movie. Uh, I definitely didn't like all of it, but I I must say probably the opening sequence, all the the little details and information that they, they throw at you um, really, really did it for me. And and it wasn't until the the second or third time watching it through that I was really like, okay, this is extremely well done. Like the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, that was good. Now I'm just like, okay, (laughs) there was way more thought put into this than I initially expected. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest strengths for me. Um, I wasn't a fan of all of the casting options. Um, but of course the classics kind of came back with Neo and Trinity, uh, which I think that they pulled off their, uh, their roles pretty well, especially the fact that they're, they're not in their twenties anymore. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. Like age definitely plays a part in that. Yeah. Like, what they're cap- physically capable of doing, what is what is mm-hmm. like, what we can accept them as being physically capable of doing as older people, you know. 
right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I didn't realize this. I, I had to look it up, but Keanu Reeves is 57 years old. Yeah, that's... Like, that didn't strike me until I looked it up. I was, like, surely expecting to see, like, 45. Yeah, for sure. But then, in hindsight, looking back, I'm like, no, because he would have been... He wouldn't have been old enough to be in the first movie then. Exactly, yeah. And I think what's funny is in the first movie too, there was some talk about, um, because his career had kind of gone on, like not on the, I wouldn't say on the skids, but like he he definitely wasn't as, uh, his career was slightly in decline um, and he Mm -hmm. was in bad shape. Um, he wasn't and like there was so there was definitely I, I remember at the time when the first movie came out it was talk about that being like a renaissance for Keanu he got himself back in shape he looked great he'd been training for the movie he kind of like cleaned himself up a little bit I think it was probably I might be wrong on this but I think I think like his partner died um, in before this movie happened so this was when he was kind of like getting his shit back together um, so like even at the time he was still older than we think he was when he was making the first Matrix movie, he definitely seen a lot. Anyway, lived a lot. Um, but yeah, he's for for his age right now, fifty seven. He still looks great for his age, but he does look his age though. When you really look, you know, he does, yeah. especially uh, in the scenes uh, where he's in the real world mm-hmm. and he has his hair sh- uh, shorn down real short. Yeah, and you, you can really see it in his face then because he doesn't have all the John Wick hair. Yeah, to, for you sure. Kind of hide the aging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also noticed all the gray hair the dude has whenever they cut his hair down like that. Mm-hmm. It's like he, he's more than salt and pepper. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> he just, he's probably been using that just for men hair dye, get his, get his hair. <laughs> he's probably pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty silver. Um, so, yeah, so that, I mean, like, I agree with you. Um, what's funny is I, I want to mention what you said before, which is kind of interesting, is after your first viewing of the movie, you preferred the second half of the movie. Um, I did. Yeah. Initially. I, I was exactly the same as you. Exactly the same. For me, uh, I haven't watched the movie the first time. I thought it was good, but I really started to enjoy it the minute it the um, the Trinity escape plan was hatched, the minute we go to IO, the minute yeah. we start seeing um, like that, the yeah, outside of the that's Matrix. right at, yeah, that's right at the one hour mark in the film. Yeah. And... So it's pretty much dead halfway. Mm-hmm. And I was the same. That for me, I was like the minute we the minute we went to IO and the minute he came out of the matrix, um, that was all of a sudden I was like, okay, like I'm super into this right now. Um mm-hmm. but over time in rewatching I, it's flipped for me now. Like the first half of the movie for me is the more interesting part before it gets into the more standard what you would expect from Matrix movie kind of elements that come in later on in the movie. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because in the in the in the first half, it um, I don't want to. I'm sure we're yeah. going to do a spoiler section after this. No, we'll just do um, we're just doing spoilers now. So spoilers to anybody that's listening. <laughs> okay, spoilers everyone. Um, so yeah, in the, in the first one, it's really interesting to see, uh, how they're portraying that, uh, Neo is like kept in this loop and there's, there's just so much going on. Like the, uh, the boardroom scene where they're going over and it's like one, one word bullet time yeah, <laughs> and all that type of stuff. The first time you watch it, it just kind of like goes through and it's, uh, the way that it kind of chops up the conversation cutting between different 
uh, different scenes. It's just kind of like confusing. You just kind of like go through it. Um, but then once you realize that he was stuck in a loop this entire time, then you can go back and you can really pick out things. The fact that this didn't all happen in a linear sequence. Mm-hmm. It was different sections of different loops that he was going through whenever one character would say, you know, oh, one word bullet time. And then it cuts immediately to from the boardroom to what seemed like a like a, a, a party or something at somebody's house where he says the exact same line. So it lets you know that he's gone through this multiple times. It's like this is his existence now in the Matrix is to just be frustrated by the fact that he has to make a fourth game. Yep. And that's his little Groundhog Day thing, where he's that's that's what he's getting beat up against every single time he gets brought back. Yeah, which is fascinating too, because it's like it, it's obviously it's talking in a way about uh, the Wachowski situation and having to make a fourth Matrix movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was one thing that I did really enjoy the fact that they uh, they took the fact that WB said, hey, we're going to do this with or without you. Yeah. And then the Wachowski's are like, fine, or at least one of them <laughs> said, fine, I'll do it, and then put that directly into the movie. Yeah. It honestly feels like that whole sequence, that whole argument is just a, more than a subtle middle finger to WB. <laughs> yeah. And it seemed like that was potentially an actual conversation that happened before this uh, film came about. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure like they, I'm sure they get pitched um, like in, in boardrooms similar to that, where they're like, we're going to bring back the matrix. Like what did people love about the matrix? You know what I mean? Like it sounds yeah. almost exactly what in my head, I imagine those boardroom meetings are like with like executives and marketing executives and stuff like that, uh-huh. uh, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, so like, yeah, the movie does do some pretty fun meta stuff with the, the blurring between um this the predicament of making a movie like this in 2021 um a movie a legacy movie a sequel a requel as i guess they call them now um it's funny i just watched the new scream movie um and that's a fascinating movie to watch alongside matrix resurrections because it's essentially doing the same thing but it's how and and it's also self-aware of itself doing the same thing so like it's interesting that these movies are kind of coming out along the same time uh, very close together and they're both addressing themselves uh, which is pretty interesting but what i do i do think i do want to mention and and like this might just be my opinion but i think what like in a conversation around matrix resurrections and like a lot of the heat that's getting thrown back at the movie um because i obviously jason you and i especially me i'm in the super minority as being somebody who loves this movie you as being somebody yeah. who's positive on the movie is still in the in the very small minority uh, it seems that most people kind of hate this movie um but i think what's what's interesting is that i think people people are getting too caught up on what is a clever passing moment in a movie is is making is like the meta narrative about the filmmakers or filmmaker being aware of the legacy of what they created is it's, it's interesting and it's nice that they touch on it, but I feel like people are letting that swallow this movie is being like this whole movie is like some meta criticism of, of, of like the whole thing. And I feel like it's not the case. I feel like it was, it was interestingly done and it was well put in, but like, I feel like people are getting very sidetracked 
with that notion like about about the movie yeah yeah i think they they are uh i believe uh, we had a uh, we had zach uh turn in a a little bit of an opinion about the mm-hmm. the the film and he definitely had his critiques and it kind of went along those lines yeah um but that being said i mean it, it's it is what it is but it's 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 still something new it can't be the same old same old otherwise we would be having the same exact argument of well they just did the same thing exactly but that's the thing is they didn't they didn't do the same thing but they did have a lot of um i don't want to say fan service because it was a little bit more than that it was more of just nods of relating back to the old films Mm -hmm. so i i personally thought it was really well done oh yeah Uh, especially having having like the the repeated scenes were when uh smith and neo were in the bathroom fighting and it had that top-down scene where smith just starts doing the jackhammer punches right on neo's chest yep and that was directly out of what was it the first movie or the second? Uh, one? It's to, from the end of the first movie. Okay. In the subway, yeah, um, it, it kind of beats the shit out of uh, Neo. Um, yeah. So and then the, the scenes with the helicopters, uh, with the the bullets dropping from yeah. the helicopter. The bullets dropping down. Yeah. So there's definitely some like cool callback visual uh, things. And what's interesting too is like what we've got to remember is the movie. In the fourth Matrix movie, the Matrix already exists. The video game exists, which is like the movie mm-hmm. existing. So when the movie's yep. talking about the movie, it can do that because the, it's talking about the movie because the movie actually now exists in the universe, which is very similar to the Scream movies, if anybody's familiar with that. The Stab movies, which is the movie variant of the Scream movies, exist in that timeline too. So you can start to play around with that without it being like too external because actually you can, you know what I mean? Like the meta is already in there. It's baked in now that now that the movies kind of exist in a way as the video game trilogy, um, which is pretty clever. So the inclusion of that, I think is pretty cool. And my interpretation, at least this is just my interpretation is that like, um, I, I like how, Neo is reliving uh, what he believes is his past life through and like dealing with it through these video games, which I think is kind of cool because he's obviously like um, the whole time we're, we're guessing that he's like, he's like, I know something's wrong. Something's wrong. Like, I'm not really me, but I'm in my body, uh-huh. but it's not really my body. And like, so he's kind of addressing that through the video games. And then also as we'll start getting into through the introduction of Morpheus and him coding characters to run um, scenarios within the universe, um, which is kind of really interesting too, which is going to lead me on to my next point. So the, of the legacy characters that we got back, we got back um, Keanu Reeves, we got back Carrie Ann Moss uh, playing Trinity or Tiff, as she's now known in the new matrix, um, which I think is pretty funny. Um, and then other than that, yeah. it's just Niobe and I and the Merovingian. And I think that's it, isn't it? Or am I missing somebody? Um Actor-wise, at least, that's the four returning actors. 
Yeah, I believe you're correct in yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so, what did you think of the new the new crew? Like, so we're introduced to Bugs, uh, and who's obviously now the captain of her own ship, um, with a whole new yeah, with a whole new cast of characters. Um, I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty good. Like, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and say that if if it had been a movie without uh, Neo in, and it had been like a new spin off tale with this new cast and crew, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. I, I really liked uh, the Bugs character, even though she spoke too fast at some points in the film. <laughs> uh, but I mean, whenever you're actually filming that, I'm sure that it doesn't seem like you're talking that fast. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. as a director, seeing that scene so many times, you know what they're saying. But for me as a first timer, it was just like, what? what, what? <laughs> yeah. But I could I can get over that. Um one too many motorcycle accidents, I think, has affected my hearing, possibly. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, no, I, I think the new the new crew, especially for the, the Nemesine crew, at least, was really well done. Um, that being said, the cap, or not, not the captain, the navigator, uh, the pilot, I guess you could say, he had a very minimalistic role. I only remember seeing him, like, Really, in the one scene, yeah, when they were Neo thought they were going to crash, yeah, he's almost not in it at all. Um, yeah, yeah, um, you know what I thought was cool too? Um, so the introduction of I, I'm not going to know his name because it's just too much information for me to keep a hold of in my head, but the um, so they now have the capability when they enter the matrix, so the crew on the ship will get jacked in like they used to do, um, but now yeah. they they have the ability to have in the first movie, they would have to be on the telephone and they'd run the telephone uh, stations and they'd speak to um, somebody who was back on the ship watching essentially lines of code and watching what was going on in the Matrix. Now, with the advancement that they have in their technology, they can actually drop an operator in. So it's like they're like a digital like ghost inside following along with them whilst actually not being there, which I thought was a pretty cool um, advancement. Yeah, that that was really good. And that was set up pretty that was really well set up at the very beginning mm-hmm. with that mock trinity battle scene yes mm-hmm. whenever uh his his image kept like jittering in and out mm-hmm. and she tells him you're breaking up switch to audio and then you just see him disappear yep so you know that he's not actually there mm-hmm. so you don't ever like see him as like a viable character to make any kind of like a change yeah other than the fact that he's like the guardian yeah for sure um, which I think is really cool. Um, so speaking of like uh, advancements in technology, um, the, whilst now we can have human beings um, like kind of like dropped in the matrix without actually being in the matrix, we also now have the capability for programs, reverse. yeah, programs to enter the <laughs> yeah. real world uh, through like it looks like a, a swarm of like nanobots or like ball bearings that like kind of like form human shapes. Hence, why the mm-hmm. uh, the new uh, program of Morpheus slash Agent Smith is able to uh, join in with the gang in IO, and I thought that was really cool too, like super cool. Yeah, that was really cool. The only um... The only plot hole that I had with that that I should have just ignored was like, 
how can they speak <laughs> if they're just floating magnetic balls? Yeah, how are they, they generating sound? How can they talk? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I thought about that, and I was like, yeah, there's probably some sort of an explanation. They can vibrate the, you know, things to make vibrations for sound, yada, That's yada, yada. I just yeah. tried not to look. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not looking into it no. too far, but that was my only initial, like, that's a plot hole. Yeah. But it, <laughs> you, the answer would be probably what you said, though. There would be vibrations from the balls or like the, the nanobots do the vibrations of like the, yeah. the, the, the voice box or whatever, because they would be aware. But what's kind of cool about that, though, is it gets you thinking, you know what I mean? Because the, the tech's yeah. kind of cool. So you get to like really start to like try and pull it apart and figure out how it works. I thought that was really good. Um, now, those are two new elements of technology interacting. And there's a third too, which I think is pretty interesting. So we have become aware of um, machines who uh, have uh -huh. kind of defected um, from the... So basically, we now have uh, human beings on IO um, who are interacting with uh, like sentinels and machines um, who do different tasks. And I thought that was a pretty cool... Um, uh, like new development. So yeah. the development of how, so basically at the end of the third movie, um, like you now have uh, human beings and machines who are kind of like going off on a third direction and be like, we need to work together. Like it ain't working. It, it's not going to work if we're just constantly trying to kill each other because nobody's really succeeding at this point. We are incapable of generating enough energy by running the matrix. So, um, we need an alternative solution. There needs to be like, you know, and perhaps if we work together, we can figure this this out, which I thought was a pretty cool development rather than it being the hot, like it's not just us versus them now. It sets up the possibility where there's humans versus robots, but then you also have uh, um, machines, but then you also have humans and machines. So you have like almost three camps now yeah. set up. Yeah, you certainly do. And that, uh, that was explained fairly well in the... Uh the the garden scene i guess mm -hmm. whenever uh, neo is introduced to the botanist yeah where uh naomi's character was saying you know the io is not us or them it's built by us and them which was what made that whole civilization that city so different from everything else that preceded it yeah for sure now which brings me to an interesting point so this actually as we're talking about this right now this is a good time for me to really uh get in on this so like i believe that the overarching theme of the movie is kind of really that that situation. So I think that that's what the movie's really trying to talk about is now we go through obviously the the movie the Matrix movie is very famous for its red pill blue pill. Red pill blue pill. So do you want to just like um Cypher in the first movie, he basically wants to be blue-pilled again. He takes a red pill. He's like, holy shit, I don't like living, eating gruel on a really cold ship. I want to go back to the Matrix. I want to eat my steak. You can make me famous. I just, I don't, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to deal with reality. So um, it sets up a choice. So the Matrix basically sets up this choice. It's like a binary choice. It's do you want to, do you want to remain unaware of what's going on and be part of the system? Or do you want to be made aware of everything um and i feel like what the 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 fourth movie's kind of doing is it's kind of saying that like it really shouldn't be a choice of us and them or them and us really what it, it we need to the like it's about there needs to be a middle, a middle ground. ground which i think is not not to get too political about the movie but i feel like that is 
because the movie is being lambasted for being too woke or too political. But I think when people are reading it, they might be reading it a little too steep because I think really what it's actually saying is that it's actually saying, hey, we kind of need to work together. We kind of like, we don't really need... Now, I'm not saying that the movie's directly talking about politics, but all art is talking about right. politics in a way. Now, this also could be to do with um, the the gender issue of the movie. But really, I feel like the 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 for me, what I took away from the movie was uh, is that like, yeah, the, it needs to be compromise between these two elements. Yeah, you know, and yeah, Bugs kind of says I, it, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, because Bugs kind of says it herself when Bugs is like, it doesn't matter which pill you take, really. It's kind of pointless. It doesn't matter because you're only, you already going to take the pill if you're going to take the pill. So like the choice is an illusion, like <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Um, when Neo was kind of freaking out, I was like, well, I don't know which pill, it, you know what I mean? I thought that was pretty clever. Right. Um, so yeah, like I think that's pretty cool, like um, takeaway and how they reflect that in their movie is through this new union of humans and machines, which I think is fascinating. I really like the setup for IO. Um like the environment, I think is pretty cool how they're like growing plants and they have that artificial sky that they've put in. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. Yeah. That was really, really cool. I, I, that part of the, the movie, whenever they first flew in and they had the, the clouds up there, like for a second there, you're like, is that just digital? Is it, you know, is it real? And then you find out that no, it's, it's both. It's, it's artificially created, but they are real clouds, but they serve more than just yeah, an aesthetic cool. purpose. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so to the, yeah. So in general, the tech's very, very interesting. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this though, Jason. So if, if we're led to believe now that Morpheus is dead, um, so there's no more Morpheus. We see a statue of Morpheus. And I guess I didn't know this until earlier on today. So there was a, a MMO version of the Matrix that went online. I guess like I didn't even know it was out, but there was like a MMO version of the Matrix that everybody's playing for a while. Now, apparently the events that unfold in that video game are actually canon to the, to the plot line. So basically what happens in that video game is after the third movie, which is uh, Revolutions, uh, Neo makes a a, tre uh, a peace treaty, kind of a truce with the machines. And he's like, you can put me back in the Matrix. I'll kill Smith. So I'll get rid of him. Um, and then basically you can reset the Matrix, but make it better. And you can, I'm basically screwed at this point because Trinity's already dead. So basically he goes back and fed through the machine. So like what happens in the MMO is after post Neo's death, um, Morpheus apparently is like still super pissy about it. Still, he wants to have access to Neo's body because he he believes they can bring Neo back, and Morpheus kind of kind of goes off on one and becomes becomes a bit crazy and like unhinged, and then eventually Morpheus gets killed by like a program, I guess. Um, but it's I didn't. I'm just this is what I gather. I'm not like an, I didn't play the video game, but so that would lead us to think that in Resurrections now Morpheus is gone. But what I wanted to ask you is so. Theoretically, if they were to continue this story, what we could have is we know that um, IO exists, the Matrix exists, yeah. the machine yeah. world exists, which is essentially just the real world um, above ground. Yep. Um, so that exists. But then there would have to be a pocket of resistance, probably still loyal to Morpheus, who would be... Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I see where you're going yeah. with this. But yeah, no, I definitely believe that Zion is still there. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely believe that that's like she, she Naomi uh, in the film uh -huh. actually talked about how Zion was still very militaristic and holding on to the grudge between humans and machines. Um, yeah, I, I definitely believe that going forward from here, I think that the next film would probably most likely deal with the conflict uh, between the two human uh, inhabitants, mm -hmm. between Io and Zion, mm -hmm. uh, with one being very stuck in their ways with a legitimate grudge to hold. Yeah. With uh, uh, both Neo's passing and then Morpheus dying from what you've just told me. I was not aware of the video game. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that's where the next film might go is is a conflict between them. Yeah, which I'd be perfectly happy with. It, truthfully, Jason, I'd be happy if they made a Matrix movie that didn't even really feature the Matrix. It was... it was. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously we'd be aware the, of it, but yeah. Yeah, but the world itself without the matrix in the world of the matrix is a very interesting world, how it's all wrecked. It's, you know, they, they burned out the sun to try to, uh, defeat the solar panels to, 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 uh, to take out the, the machines in the very beginning. And so the world itself is a, just a terrible place, Yeah, <laughs> but it's a really interesting world that I think that could be explored a little bit more. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, and and I really like all of the, uh, I like, all of the inclusion of all the new law. I like I like the idea that um, the machines put Neo back in the Matrix. I think that's really cool. I think it's cool how they reintroduced Trinity, who is essentially a dead character, um, as being they realized that they. Neo couldn't really exist without Trinity in that they needed that like power balance uh to, in order to 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 keep the matrix yeah. ticking. I thought that was a pretty clever way of addressing that it. was that was uh yeah, I agree with that because I was wondering how they were going to bring her back cuz I knew that she was in it. Mm -hmm. Um but of course she, you know, got rebarred through the chest. Yeah. <laughs> so like 20 like, times. Yeah, it was like 20 rebars through it. Yeah. <laughs> It, it always that scene always reminds me of um the firefly movie oh serenity yeah yeah i haven't seen that movie before. <laughs> you haven't no i've seen it but i haven't seen it in so long so okay. i take it somebody gets stuck up pretty good in that <laughs> uh yeah the very end oh, the pilot meets pretty much the, the same end as as uh trinity oh, really? did so yeah that's funny yeah it was a Human pin it's kind cushion. Of a, kind of a, a sticking point for me, yeah. no pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought that was good. Like, it was a good way to... Because obviously, if Trinity's back, there has to be a reason why she's back. Um, and I figured that's a pretty as good a reason as any to put it back. Yeah, in. they can't just bring her back to bring her back. Exactly. That, then that would just be stupid. Yeah, for sure. And I do love the... Um, so I... I'm, I really like Neil Patrick Harris's uh, performance in this movie. And I actually really like his character as like the, the analyst. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I thought was, what I think is really clever is I, and I enjoy this is I like the notion that he needed them both uh, in order to, to really balance the matrix, but they had to keep them separate. So it's like, the, right. the, if, we needed, if they got too close then everything just 
went to shit. Yeah. So I love. <laughs> but if they were too far apart, the same thing. Exactly. So I love the idea that like they they were hiding them in plain sight, um, separate. Mm-hmm. In in the characters have become like the 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 Neo and Trinity have become like. They know something's wrong, but they also have become convinced that there's somebody else, which I think is really cool. I really like how they use different, um, obviously, the visual appearance for them. So when we see the characters in the mirrors, it's different uh-huh. versions of them, um, which I think which, is really speaking cool. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. speaking of that, I thought that was, uh, that was really awesome. But um, one thing that I found out, the uh, so the old man image that we see of uh, Neo whenever he looks in the mirror. Yeah. Um, that's actually, uh, the actress who plays Trinity, that's her husband in real life. Yeah. It's her real husband. I heard that too. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, an interesting little thing where it's like, you know, it's got everybody thinking, you know, well now when you see them in real life as a couple, it's like, Hey Neo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. And, and I love that. I love the little, the fleeting glimpses. And you know what's interesting too is the whole time that's going on, the movie's not explaining that to you. Like it explains no. it later on, but when that, that stuff's happening at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah. In, in Wedges. Like when it of, shows uh, when Bugs yeah. looks up mm-hmm. and she sees it and for a split second, it's an old man and it's not the same, mm-hmm. um, not the same person as uh, the Trinity. I forget her name. Uh, the actress's uh, husband. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think that was, you know, one of the clues that kind of got me thinking about the loop because it's not that they just changed his image. It was that he never fell at that point. Like Bugs told him later that she saw him jump off the roof, but then she says, but you didn't fall. Yeah. So obviously if she didn't fall, then he flew off and then – Bam, everything has to be reset. All the witnesses, which were probably all just programs anyways, reset, except for Bugs, who is an actual human that witnessed it. And I guess they just missed the fact that she was there. Yeah. And then that sets her off on a journey to ultimately get uh-huh. um, red-pilled uh, by, I guess, it is it Niobe who did that to her? I, I think the movie it was, hints, yes. Yeah, the movie hints at that. Yeah. Bugs is a great character. Um I like the fact that like they they put a female actress in who's pretty good with martial arts. Like she's been in other things. She's actually in um, Iron Fist, I think it is the Netflix uh, martial arts uh, thing. So she was pretty uh, that was terrible. Yeah, the movies th- that that show's <laughs> terrible. But she's pretty good. Like like I like the fact that like she was doing some of the action scenes. It kind of took the heat off it being needed to be Neo doing a lot of the action stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which you're right at 57 years old. I'm going to be like, well, and I, yeah. I, and I know <laughs> how this, much are they going to make him do? <laughs> totally. And and I think, and, and I might be wrong, but I feel like another thing that people are kind of getting to the movie is, is like, yes, it doesn't have the same fight choreography as the first movie, 100%. Um, but I kind of feel like they're not really interested in, uh, in doing that in this movie so much. Is it, it doesn't no, hinge this, on This it. movie was less, it wasn't as re- reliant on the action like the first uh, movies were. For sure. This one is more of a – it's more cerebral. Yeah. It's definitely more in the head, the, the the struggle of, you know, what's going on and who should – you know, the decisions that are made in the movie are, are way more impactful than 
the fight scenes. For sure, yeah. I feel like they, they, they know that they don't have to, like, wow you with fight scenes anymore because you've, we've already seen them. And then also probably like, well, we can't top what we already did. So let's just tell a story and make it more of a science fiction movie than an action movie, which it kind of feels mm-hmm. more science fiction than action, which is nice. And um, also... It does. The bit of the blowback too, and Zach mentioned that in his feedback, um, is how Neo's insistence on just stopping bullets and not fighting. But I, yeah. I kind of feel <laughs> yeah. like I kind of feel like that's kind of where he's at as a character, though. He's kind of like fucking sick of having to do Neo stuff in in a way. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't, because by the end of the third movie, he's pretty much like he's totally burned out, and he's just like, I'll I'll yeah. just, I'll defeat Smith for you, but like enough you know what i mean like i don't i'm i don't really want to be neo anymore i lost trinity like yeah so he, he yeah he never believed it himself as being neo in the first place exactly and and so he's like my, my ride's over i'm i'm done yeah <laughs> and i don't blame <laughs> so him. in this movie yeah he would yeah but in this movie he was definitely more uh more on the defensive side mm-hmm. than being openly offensive mm-hmm. Like he he wasn't like you know trying to rush in guns ho you know to blow up a building or whatever and shoot a bunch of agents or whatnot. This one was more of just all I want is Trinity. Yep, I'm in, I'm out. That's all I'm here for. Yep, and that's that's all he cared about. Yep, and if I had the ability, if he doesn't need to fight, then why fight? He's just like I don't need to fight. I yep. can just stop the bullets. You know what I mean? I could do just enough to to not have to deal with that 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 shit anymore, which I thought was pretty cool. Now, though, the one thing I think I'm the vaguest on, and even after the amount of times I've seen the movie, I'm still not like, I'm still kind of vague on Smith, um, in this incarnation of Smith, in in technically what his role is. It's still to me the vaguest point of the movie. <sighs> Yeah, Smith was my biggest point of contention mm-hmm. with this film. Uh, I didn't like the character casting. I didn't like this new actor. Um, I wasn't really thrilled with really just the portrayal of Smith because it's supposed to be the same program. But, I mean, obviously we can't get uh, the same actor. I, f- I forget Hugo his name. Hugo Weaving. Who, yes, I'm terrible with actors' names. Thank you. Um, the, obviously, they can't get him to come back into it because you would have to try to get him to look the exact same as when he did because as a program, he's not really going to age that, all that much. Although some of the programs do age, like Sati aged. So I guess they, I don't know. Either oh, yeah, way, it wasn't right. a huge... I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah you're totally right. Yeah. She did age. She did. Um, so I, I just wasn't very thrilled with the, the actor, his, his cadence and speech was just completely different. You know, Agent Smith was very slow and very thought out with everything that he did. He was just very menacing in the way that he spoke, you know, just mr anderson Mm -hmm. you know that whole thing and in this one he's just like oh hi tom and i'm like uh it was just kind of jarring especially how he kept referring to neo as tom yes uh but i think that because it's to 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 kind of hammer home uh familiarity or like you know what i mean so like they've been through so much now it's just like that's tom you know what i mean 
Um, That's true, but it, whenever, so whenever they were going through the loops, uh, from what I got gathered from it, is that Smith was just as hoodwinked as uh, Neo was. Yes. Like, they, they both had no idea who they were until that one scene where the new Morpheus came out and introduced himself to Neo. Whenever there's that fight going on in the office and Smith looks down and he sees the gun and he grabs it and that reawakens his original code. Mm-hmm. And then you see him give the iconic neck crack. And he looks up and yells, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when he comes back, and that was, like, the whole, like, oh, yeah, let's go. But then he swapped right back to, oh, hi, Tom. How's it going, Tom? I know, I yeah. Like, come on. That was kind of weird. You're right, because he did kind of have, like, a, a character reveal there, and then, and then yeah, then step back off. So I guess my, my thing is, is, like, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying in my head to figure out what his importance in being in the movie is. Like, like what, what role he's really fulfilling well, in terms of like pushing so, the story along. Cause I get Morpheus uh, and I get, I get that, that, that I totally understand that. And I actually really like the new Morpheus, um, but I don't really understand what he's doing for the plot Smith. So he, he kind of had a, a very minor role to be honest when it comes to the plot progression. Uh, but the main thing was, is he had that reawakening uh, in that office scene and then he broke off and he went off on his own. And he was trying to just enjoy being himself, I guess you could say, being free to do whatever he wanted. Um, and then whenever um, Neo is trying to get Trinity, of course, uh, the architect wants Neo to come back so he could put them back in the pod. And then he'll swap everything back to where it was, which would have then put Smith right back into being in the loop and unaware. So, yeah. Which is the exact opposite of what he wants. So initially, Smith's answer to that was, well, I'll just kill Neo. And if Neo's dead, then he can't go back in and there's no reason to reset it, and so I'll be free. So that was the whole fight scene with the Merovingian and uh, all mm-hmm. of those goons. Um, But then later... After I think Smith realizes that, you know, Neo, he's not going to die easy, just as always, and he's not going to give up. So then he tries to help out. And that's when uh, the scene with all the the policemen in the Mm -hmm. the cafe, Mm -hmm. when he jumps out and he shoots uh, the architect and prevents the architect from uh, from resetting. Mm -hmm. I think is what it was. He, he, he delayed him at that point. And so that was the major plot contribution that he gave as Smith was he kind of gave them an out. He provided an escape opportunity. Yeah. I, in that spot, like that's what was kind of like confusing me. So I figured it was along the lines of, yeah, cause it had to do with like, um, the, Smith, you you can't really have a Neo without a Smith. And then when you have, Mm -hmm. and then uh, also you can't really have a Matrix without the Neo. So Smith needs Neo for the Matrix to, to anyway. But like, yeah, so I figured it was the enemy of my enemy enemy is my friend um, in terms of when it came down to Neil Patrick uh, 
Harris's character. Um, so I figured that. I just thought it was like, I don't know. If I'm going to be honest, it, it's a little, um, it's a little um, underwhelming. Hello, welcome back. Uh, Jason and I just took a quick smoke break um, because we're filthy smokers and we needed it. And we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> yeah, um, we're such terrible people. But anyway, as we were saying, we were we just finished up talking about um, the the new Agent Smith um, and the new interpretation of Agent Smith, um, mm-hmm. who is really the old Agent Smith, as we discussed. So. Um, was there anything else you wanted to bring up, Jason? I know we, you said you've got some more points you wanted to raise. I, I do, but I think that now is a good time that we can uh, talk a little bit about what Zach said. Of course, yeah. Um, let's do that. So, Zach wasn't exactly very impressed with this film, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely had a lot of points of contention, like uh, the fact that it looked different. He was He wasn't too too pleased with the new look of the matrix, uh, how, how the old films, they all had that greenish tint to it. Um, which I do agree with him in the fact that the old ones with it, having that color palette really made the character costumes like stick out and pop. Yeah. Um, but this isn't the same matrix. This is a completely different rendition of it. Um, which is, I think why they chose this new colorful palette uh, to make it seem more um, more like the real world as it was as it used to be, I guess you could say. I, I think it was a, a, a plot point to make uh, Neo or Mr. Anderson at this point more convinced that he's in the real world and that he's not in the Matrix. Yeah, because it's my understanding uh, that by him having the truce with the machines and going back, that they would ultimately get a better version of the Matrix. But visually, obviously, yes, we have the reintroduction of color. Um, colors everywhere in this movie. It's very, very colorful. Um, and it, yeah, and I get what Zach's saying, and I get Zach's not alone in this um, this bone of contention. A lot of people are concerned about this and i agree i it's just like every other uh criticism of the matrix uh resurrections i agree with all of the criticisms whilst conversely having like liking all of the, the for the same reasons um but yeah right that that specific look was very key it's very it's iconic in a way um and what it did really help to do was it kind of separated and it showed the matrix as this set like almost sterile off slightly off kilter version of reality where it looks like reality but all the colors are a little muted it's a little different it's everything's off and then it's not only in terms of the actual color of the movie too if you really watch the first few matrixes again the the depiction of the matrix in that rendition of the matrix the um 
the office environment where uh, Thomas Anderson's working in before he, he, when he gets a telephone call from Neo. Everything is bland. There's like nothing hanging on the walls. Mm. It's very like the, the Matrix Excel. Very austere. Exactly. Very austere. Yeah. And like that, that seeps throughout everything in there. Hence why when the characters um, reintroduce themselves back into the Matrix and they've been freed, they've been red-pilled and they go back in. That's why they all look so badass because it's like, hey, we can, we don't have to dress and it's like a white tie. You know what I mean? It's like, we can be like right. this idealized versions of ourselves. Um, but yes, it's 2022 now. The The Matrix has gone through multiple revolutions since the end of the third movie. And now um, it's it's closer in, in visual appeal to what it would be like. And, and I'm paraphrasing. This isn't, I'm, this isn't my, um, this is something I, I've heard from, collectively from all of the uh, reviews and talking points I've been listened to about the movie is that if you think about the internet in 1999, the internet was essentially just a database and uh, it was like very bland, very, very one dimensional. And then flash forwards to where we are right now with the metaverse and Facebook taking on this whole new, like, well, with the metaverse in, in terms of like, think about what we can do with the internet. People live on the internet now. It's vibrant. It has so many different angles and, and so many different functions yep. now. And I feel like that's back kind of... the day. Yeah. Yeah. Because back in, back in 99, like you were talking about, it was mainly just a bunch of forums. Exactly. A bunch yeah. of message boards. Mm-hmm. With just text and like yep. almost no like the one JPEG that would take like an hour to load on the screen when it refreshed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think that's. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I think that's what's kind of cool is the technology has moved with our technology in a way. So like the internet or a matrix wouldn't necessarily have to be like that anymore. It could be something that's a little more interesting visually, and I think that's reflected. And for me, I think that's a. I think that's a bonus and not a negative. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely saw it as a sign of progression. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not the same matrix. Uh, it's, it's definitely something new and yeah, color definitely played a lot into it. There was a lot of, especially in the first half of the movie, a lot of plays on the whole red and blue theme mm -hmm. coming back and forth. Uh, like for instance, uh, the analyst, whenever he was uh, playing the therapist, he had uh, the blue glasses, the blue flame frame glasses. Mm -hmm. And then in the boardroom scene where you see Sati for the first time, even though you don't realize it's Sati on your first go around, uh, when she, you know, kind of winks and points at him, uh, she's wearing red rimmed glasses. Mm -hmm. So it's like the 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 by you know the contrast of the binary there's uh the analyst trying to keep neo blue pilled to the point where he's even prescribing him blue pills mm -hmm. <laughs> in the film um and then there's sati on the other side who is in, on neo's side and he, she's wearing the red rim so she's you know obviously towards the you know the red pill side um which another interesting thing about that scene, did you uh, did you see what book she was reading? No, uh, was uh, was it Lewis? Was it Alice in Wonderland? It was, but it was Alice in Wonderland through the Looking Glass. It was the second novel. In oh, the okay. Series. Okay. Um, which I thought was a really great uh, 
a, a really great symbol uh, for what this film is because uh, obviously in the first Alice in Wonderland, she goes and she has her adventure, which kind of represents uh, the first trilogy of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. That's like the first story. And then this is the beginning of the second story, uh, which she was beginning to read the second book of Alice in Wonderland. But the other uh, really interesting uh, thing that I found with that was how Alice got into Wonderland in the second book was that she went through a mirror. Oh, okay. And then in this new Matrix, instead of using the landline phones, they use mirrors. They hack mirrors to get back in. So I thought that was a really nice play. That's awesome. That they did there. Yeah, I'm really pleased you point that out because now you said that, like, I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. That's super cool. So in relation to what you were saying about the 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 red the red rim glasses, blue rim glasses, the use of red and blue in the in how colorful the movie is. Am I wrong? But in the scene where Bugs falls off the building and she falls down and slides down that neon sign, is that neon sign red and blue? Uh, no, it's mainly just red. It's red and white, I believe. Oh, okay. For a second, there, I was thinking that could be kind of cool too. How Bugs is talking about the 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 redundancy of the binary choice between red and blue. I thought that would be kind of uh-huh. cool if when she was sliding, destroying that sign, sliding down, it was all red and blues. Uh, but maybe right. it's not. I should. I should. No, have but on the movie. A, fu- <laughs> a funny thing about that sign, though. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So when if you back up on that scene just a little bit, wherever she's uh, running from the agents across the, the, the rooftop, Mm -hmm. she runs across a red neon sign that says sabor a mierda, which in Spanish means the taste of shit. Oh, really? And then, (laughs) yes. And then she jumps off that building and then she slides down the sign that says, you know, Anderson, uh, as as it, she's sliding down, at the very end of that sign, it says, for people who like to eat shit. <laughs> and then <laughs> right after that, she smacks face first into the concrete. That just, uh, that made me giggle. That's one of the, the reasons why I like being able to, you know, pause it. Because mm-hmm. you, you don't catch that as it goes. It's too fast. Wow, yeah. But if you pause it, you can actually read the signs. And it's, it, it cracked me up. Yeah, I did not catch that at all. And when I don't, I, I don't speak <laughs> Spanish. So like, that's super cool. That's yeah. Well, I'm pleased to brought up the sign then because it actually had some benefit to do it to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that like for me, I'm super on board with the 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 new visual aspect of the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm super on board with the oh, whole oh, color situation. One, uh, one other thing that I wanted to talk about with the glasses mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, the analyst as a therapist is wearing those blue rim glasses. But um, later on, whenever there's the scene where uh, Neo comes into the bike shop mm-hmm. and uh, the analyst first appears and he's wearing those blue rim glasses and then he like takes them off, looks at him for a second and then just chucks them. Oh, OK. I thought that was a, a really good, you know, symbology of, you know, he's like, OK, Screw trying to blue pill this guy. This yeah. isn't working. It's gone too far. And so that was like, that was him just giving up on that whole aspect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was just a little, a little tidbit I wanted to throw in there. Yeah, that's super cool. I actually, as you, as we were speaking, I looked up the sign and yeah, to say Anderson's, that's pretty cool. 
Um, you see that, I mean, that's, what's great about it. Like I, the, there's, there's whole sections of it. I, even though I've seen it so many times, I still haven't seen everything that's like hidden right. in, in the movie. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, anything else you want to, to bring up Jason? Uh, well, I mean, just, there's a lot more of, I think that the first half of the movie, and this is why now my opinion of the first half is so much better than the second half. Um, is because of all those little minute things. Like I know I've missed a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there's probably so much in there that we just didn't even gloss over. Uh, but l- the little things like uh, where it showed Neo eating the steak. And that was a direct reference back to Cypher. Eating the steak. Yeah. Eating the steak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought that that, you know, that was good. There's a lot of little nods like that where it wasn't, super blatant they just kind of like they didn't spoon feed it to you but it was there yeah for sure yeah they, they could be like a pretty cool alternate reading of the movie it, it wouldn't work but like in a sense of neo is basically thomas anderson or neo is basically living out a similar life to what cypher actually requested to be to have when he goes back in because he wanted to be famous he wanted to be somebody new that people knew you wanted to be you know what I mean powerful and it's kind of funny how that's kind of what ended up happening to Neo when he was put back well, in the I, Matrix I think that that was a I think that that was intentional because probably uh the Matrix whenever they were having that discussion with Cypher said okay this is this is what humans want mm-hmm. you know th- this is what humans dreams are and so that probably directly uh, affected where Neo is and how he ended up being in that situation. So that's potentially where that came from. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I know we were briefly talking about this earlier on too, um, in relation to some of the points Zach brought up, um, uh, regarding, um, how easily, easily bugs took, um, Morpheus as being Morpheus, uh, and accepted it, um, and, and we were talking about that and I think you raised a pretty good yeah. point about um, how we have to consider the fact that what was happening was a modal was running and how what we were witnessing mm-hmm. was actually not the Matrix, but it was a program that obviously Neo has written himself. Um, yeah, and it, it was it, it was stated that it was it was old code because whenever uh, what was his name? Jude, I think it was. Yeah. The, I forget the, his name. His handler, I guess. Yeah. I, the handler guy, the mm-hmm. guy that was in the, the coffee shop with him. He mm-hmm. walks up, he looks over, and he looks down at the computer screen, and he says, is that old code matrix? Mm-hmm. So obviously, he A, he had no idea that, you know, Neo was even doing this, for one. And then, two, it shows that, you know, this is an isolated, outdated bit of the matrix that isn't exactly connected directly with the rest of the matrix yeah yeah which i think so yeah which is a fascinating thing in general yeah and it did have um it 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 did have the old uh like color palettes i guess you could say it did have like that that really heavy green it did type thing going on Mm -hmm. uh which uh you've you've brought this up to me in in the past of how that opening sequence really had like a dual purpose you know it it reeled us in it got us back into the whole feel of the matrix but it was also a very crucial plot point 
mm-hmm. uh, of how Morpheus came to be. Um, and then with bugs coming in um, and obviously seeing that, you know, this is different. This isn't how the matrix works now mm-hmm. uh, because all with it, with the, how the agents work in this new matrix movie, rather than being just random agents that take over people, uh, the analyst later tells us that everybody has that agent code in them. It's just, it's everybody saturated with it. It's just a, a switch that they can flip on and off mm-hmm. basically. Uh, and so whenever you, she sees these agents, she knows that this isn't how it, it goes down normally. You know, this, this is old. This is outdated. These are not actual agents. Um, because they even do the the the, the face uh, the face warping thing whenever they took over another body as she was running from them and they appeared there, so it was a d- completely different mechanic. So it was for bugs as from her perspective, it was easily noted as being something separate, something different. So that way, whenever this new Morpheus character explains that. You know, he, he's come to this awakening and that he is Morpheus. I think it was it was a lot. It, it was very easy for her to accept that, OK, this is what's going on. This makes this whole strange, outdated thing make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But just kind of like it, it it's crucial to to setting up because we need or Neo needs, and we need, for the plot to continue, Neo needs Morpheus to have that realisation because he needs him to snap him out of whatever reality he's in right now inside the Matrix. So so my understanding, therefore, is that Neo has created this model to run this code with this version of Morpheus, who he's coded as... uh, a fail-safe system in a way or as a system he's mm-hmm. trying to, to trying to get to work to help him snap out of what he believes to be his fake reality um in order to yeah. link him to what he he thinks is his past which is the ma- the events of the matrix his creation of the character uh morpheus though was a, as he explained in the movie it was an experiment yeah like he didn't know Exactly how, and just this rendition, I, 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 from what I gather, was whenever he combined the Morpheus code with the Agent Smith code just to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And that's when this character started to really think about things and then break out uh, that scene in the bathroom where he can see the, the Matrix scrawl on the, in the fog on the glass. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it really made sense to me, but I could understand it. I could also conversely understand people being like, "What?" Well, like, you know what I mean? And 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 I think, I think it really boils down to, and I think, and I understand what Zach's saying is there is such a jarring difference between the portrayal of Morpheus and if you were to read mm-hmm. it at first sight as being this is Morpheus, just like this is Neo. It's not actually this is Morpheus and this is Neo. It's this yeah. is Neo and this is not Morpheus. It's it's kind of its own character. And I feel like that 
distinction is important because without it, you're naturally going to compare it to what was a great performance by Lawrence Fishburne of a very stoic, very like um, straight faced, uh, like beast of a man. And then now we have this almost kind of campy, flamboyant uh, variant. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Which is kind of flamboyant. He definitely is. But I feel like that is also, if he is a combination of code, then therefore that is Smith has, uh, Agent Smith is also himself very much virgin on camp and very much virgin on theatricality. So I kind of feel like that that when you get that combo, you get like a guy who looks physically like Morpheus because they did a good job of casting. And I think that guy's a good actor. Like he physically Uh looks apart. He's commanding, he's big, he's strong. But then you also have that like showmanship of Smith, which I think is kind of fun. And I think he does a good job of it. And I think they have fun with it. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Cause I don't feel like I've lost Morpheus. I've just got a new character. Yeah. Cause I, I never looked at him as being Morpheus. He's not Morpheus. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, to the point was debating with myself, whether or not it would have been better to not name him Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it, it, it that's another complicated, you know, rabbit hole of what would you call him then at that point? Because he was intended to be programmed as a Morpheus Smith, um, you know, as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And I think it would have just so, confused matters even more on something that's already yeah, pretty confusing. Yeah. And I think like, <laughs> and I get it too. Like, I think like part of the reason the excitement for the trailers, like people had were like, oh, this guy looks like he's Morpheus. Is this young Morpheus or is this like, you know what I mean? So like people were trying to like, mm-hmm. so I get why you would put him in because it, it without a Morpheus character, it's, it does leave a big hole in, in the in like the heart of the Matrix in terms of like, we're so used to that dynamic. He almost like, Morpheus almost has like a father-son dynamic with to- Thomas uh, and Neo in a way, in like a mentor dynamic. Um so when you take that out, that is a whole, because he's kind of like Yoda to his Luke Skywalker in a way, or Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi to his Luke Skywalker. So I get it. And I get, and I get the confusion rega- regarding it. And I get the, the disappointment, but in a way though, one thing I am pleased about is, is I didn't want to see it. They handled Neo not fighting that much pretty well, but I didn't really want to see an old Morpheus trying to you know what i mean them trying to emulate that i think like the fact that morpheus is dead supposedly in the canon i think that's like it was a good way for his character to go out yeah 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 no i definitely agree with that um but it also wouldn't story-wise even if the mmo game didn't exist Mm -hmm. i don't think it would have really made too much sense if morpheus was in it because i mean we see how Naomi's character is portrayed. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is 60 years later. She's mm-hmm. very much an old lady. Yeah. Um, and at least in, in the way that I always saw the older Matrix movies, Morpheus was, con- you know, not like considerably older, but he was definitely had some years on Naomi. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I, I would I mean, guess he's, that he's like 15, 20 years older than her. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was, you know, late thirties and she looked like she was mid twenties. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely an age gap. So he would be ancient now. He probably would have just died of old yeah. age. He would have just died of that's, old age. That's exactly where I'm yeah. getting at. I think it, even if he had been alive, he mm. wouldn't have made it that far. I love what he represents though. I love, I, I, I'm still fascinated with the idea of like, 
the old Zion or people hold holding out for like the old Zion beliefs and his like that more milit- militant stance of like uh, resistance or like rebel forces. You know what I mean? Like I really like that. Um, and I really hope if they do move forward and they do make another movie um, that they investigate that. Like I want to see that r- represented for sure. I don't want that just to be like a forgotten side plot plot point. You know what I mean? Because I think that really would yeah. add like really good um, dynamics and tension between for the movie. Well, it's got to go somewhere. I know. And I mean, yeah, I, at the very end of the movie, um, when they said that they're going to go and remake it however they wish. I mean, that that's interesting and all, but where's the conflict in that? There's got to be conflict in the in the next chapter of the story, and so that's why I think that the um, the Zion versus Io is going to come in. It has to be because yeah, you, we've pretty much at this point written out the Matrix as in the Matrix program because it's just kind of what it is now. Uh, you're right because mm-hmm. it kind of does end in a way that would just be like we're not making any more of these, but it also has like they could make more of these movies. They could easily. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not there's any Wachowski involvement, I don't know. This could be like a passing of the torch. It could be like a, you know what I mean? Like, we'll do one more, but then, but like, and I think that what's interesting about this movie is, is I don't know how well this movie performed because it didn't have regular box office because it was day and day on HBO Max. True. It landed in the rise of Omicron, where a lot of people were starting to back off going to the theaters again. It also yeah. opened alongside Spider-Man, which was huge. So it kind of got dwarfed by that. And I feel like, we might be in a situation where the matrix is more important to people of your generation, my generation, like in less important to the younger generation, which I kind of feel I, if I had to read the room, I feel like young kids today pretty much don't really give a shit about the matrix. And I saw the movie a couple of times at the theater and I didn't really see any young people at the theater. I saw a lot of people in the thirties and upwards, yeah. but I didn't yeah, see any kids in the thirties and forties, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. I saw a lot of, a lot of kids at the Spider-Man screening, but like, yeah, this was so a, we don't know how well, how much money it made. I'm guessing it must've done pretty good because like a lot of people have HBO subscriptions. So it must've had a lot of views. So I, I just hope that we could get it. You know what I think could be kind of cool. And we're just going off now into like, um, I suppose what we, our hopes are for the, for the series. I think it could be good to do this as a a continuation as as a serialized TV, like a high budget uh-huh. TV thing. I think they could pr- do some pretty interesting stuff with it that way. Yeah, they could totally like try to like Game of Thrones it out, I guess. You know, with the the different uh, factions, because now, like we've said earlier, there's the the faction of uh, Io, where it's the the symbiosis between the machines and the humans, and there's Zion, where it's very much humans against machines, and then there is also the machine world, uh, where part of that is machines versus humans, and part of that is acceptance of humans. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a good, good number of different factions that could be uh, played off of each other in power clashes. Yeah, they could do some really good stuff, especially in today now with the budget of TV, special effects being good. They can make stuff like they could they could handle a story that big in scope on like a a, a decent quality HBO production. 
Like if if they're doing the new Lord of the Rings stuff, they could easily do the Matrix stuff too. So that would be my hope yeah. for it going forward. Uh, but it also kind of circles back to something you said to me before in terms of the um, how you were viewing this movie, uh, the Resurrections alongside Dune in terms of its pacing and its length. So I know you had something yeah. to say about that. Yeah. Um, so my initial thoughts of the first half of the movie was that it drug on too long but at the same time it felt rushed like everything was just happening boom 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 and then suddenly neo's out mm-hmm. um but in all actuality that's half the darn movie yeah um so i honestly felt like that could have been expanded a little bit more you could have shown a little bit more of the internal struggle between uh neo accepting that he's in the matrix versus um, you know, thinking that he's still just in the real world. Uh, it showed it a little bit like the scene where, uh, uh, he was like dumping out all the blue pills into the sink, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of very much reminiscent of equilibrium. Oh yeah. At that point. Yeah, that's right. Cause he is on pills in equilibrium, isn't he? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh and wow. He dumps out all the pills. That's and right. Taking them. Yeah. So, I think they could have done a little bit more like that. I think Equilibrium really did that whole, uh, that whole sequence where he comes to you know fruition of with himself. They did that a lot better than than the Matrix did. Mm-hmm. But then again, the Matrix was trying to do so much more. For sure. That yeah. I think I think that it really could have been two movies. I think that this uh, this first film could have ended right after. Um, they pull Neo out of the matrix and then he's kind of in that shock state where he's like declining. He's about to die uh, from with withdrawals. And so they, they flash him into the construct and then they have um, that fight scene in the, the lake dojo. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then eventually at the end of that fight, Neo finally comes back to himself and he's right. He's, he's back. I think that that scene right there could have been the end of the first movie. And then the second movie could have been the struggle to free Trinity. Yes. That's a, that's a really good point. Cause could you imagine with a, a bit more fleshed out time and like a bit more time, they could have done uh-huh. way cooler shit with like them um, getting aided by the machines. Uh, like the, the use of the, um, the Morpheus using the, um, the nanobots to be to be in the in the, uh, the real world, they could have really flashed out a lot of that stuff too. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely things that could have been expanded upon for sure. Uh, things that could have been done a little bit more. Like for example, uh, I wasn't even aware that the machines that were on the human side. I thought they were called sentience. That's what I thought. But they that's were not. Ac- it's not actually the case. They're synthience with a th in there oh really yeah like synthetic and sentient put together oh okay okay so and i never would have known that if i hadn't turned on subtitles <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i just thought they were calling them sentience which yeah, i thought was like case. yeah oh that's interesting yeah yeah they could have like for me that's the, i i find all of that fascinating i'm i'm super into all of that like if they want to run with that kind of stuff and they want to progress that, that story angle. And like, I could follow that and keep going down and 
you know, keep moving on with it. Because I, I find all of the the new law, all of the, I think it's all successful. I think it's all very, very interesting. It, it really, really pushes the story further. And I think that's a complete success. Now, is the movie successful as a whole? Um, that's up to personal, obviously everybody's personal choice. Um, that's definitely taste. up to debate. Yeah, it's up to debate. Um, the movie does have its issues. Um, you're right. I think pacing's an issue. I think um, I think if this is going to be an interesting thing to say too. I'm not 100% convinced on Keanu Reeves' performance. I, I think he's a little... I mean, I know this is Keanu Reeves we're talking about and he's pretty wooden in everything. He feels a little wooden to me in this, like more so than normal. He seemed wooden and he also just seemed tired. I know, but I suppose isn't that part of his character now? Yeah, that's kind of what I... That's what I attributed it to, but at the same time, it's like... Just another tell of his age, in uh, in my opinion. For sure, yeah. The, I mean, he seems exhausted. He's old, like he's not old, old, but you know, he's not a young spry chicken anymore either. Yeah, for sure. Um, can interestingly though, I almost said conversely. I got to stop saying that word. Uh, interestingly though, Trinity, her performance, uh, Carrie Ann Moss's performance. I think is she's bringing a lot of energy. Like she doesn't give me that weariness that he has, even though she's in a similar situation. So like she definitely showed up to work. Like she definitely showed up. She's like, okay. She seems like, I don't know. It's weird. Like there's a very distinct energy level difference between those two. I wonder if it's uh, simply because of how busy Keanu has been with uh, like the whole John Wick series. Yep. Like, he, he wasn't even done filming for John Wick whenever he started filming for The Matrix, which is why he had the long hair, because he was required contractually for John Wick to keep the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, all the, the real-world scenes where he has uh, his head shaved had, was done after the, the John Wick filming was done. And that's, to me, where he seemed the most stretched out i guess yeah that's a good point because in factor in the the pandemic too they had to stop filming in, in the worlds of uh in the words of bilbo like uh butter scraped over too much bread yeah <laughs> that's kind of what he looked like to me he did he did he really showed his age when he when his head was shaved yeah it really showed his age um you, you're right and like that explains like the the john wick and i get a lot of people really don't like that that that's in the movie but i think that's just nature of the industry like he's he's in a con you know what i mean like you can't just shave his head and then keep filming john wick you know what i mean and like he has to look like john wick and if i was to pick it if if i was to complain i would kind of complain about that i i understand it it's not a big deal but like i don't really care for him with the long hair beard look it's i don't know it just I think the disconnect yeah. is because I see him as John Wick now when I see that. So it's difficult for me to see him as. And I, th- I think a lot of people had that. Like the, I remember uh, when I first saw the, the trailer for this new Matrix, uh, I wasn't aware that it was a Matrix trailer. <laughs> and so I see him and it keeps going. And halfway through that trailer, I was like, is this John Wick or is this something else? Yeah. And then, oh, it's the Matrix. <laughs> I'm like, which made me think about it. It would be kind of funny if uh, it was actually intentionally tied in and that 
everything that happened in John Wick was just him in the Matrix. Oh, like, yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> like they crossed over the universes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like, oh no, John Wick. That's just everything that he did after after the third Matrix movie and before he woke up in Resurrections. <laughs> yeah, they were like, it was the first series of games he worked on. Before you, before you, before you, he, he finished coding the Matrix video games, he worked on this small series of games called John Wick. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty. That funny. would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, I did think it was kind of cool that the uh, the director from the John Wick movies was in uh, the Matrix. Yeah, he's um, Trinity's husband, Chad. Uh, yeah. In it, because his real name is Chad something. I forget his last name. But uh, it's uh-huh. that that's pretty cool because he was um, Keanu's stunt double in the original Matrix movies. In the first one, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Which is kind of co- crazy that he went from stunt double to director of a very very successful film. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he did okay for himself. But like somebody else that was involved, um, I think his name is James McTeague. He was involved with the. Matrix movies and he went on to make Viva Vendetta uh, which is a big big movie and now he yeah. he worked on this movie too he worked on Resurrections so I don't I, huh. I don't know what capacity I don't know if he was like helping on the script or what he was doing um, but he definitely was involved in this new round uh, which I think is kind of cool too um, so the inclusion of him and the Chad I think his name is Stelensky Chad Stelensky or something like that um, that sounds right yeah but that was that's a, a cute Easter egg. I'm sure if you were to Google it, I'm sure you could go through and there's a ton of Easter eggs that somebody's probably compiled in a list that you can go through and like find all of them. Um, but it's kind of more fun finding them yourself if you can, if you could spot them. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely a few little cameos like that. Like I think who is it the was it the mayor of Chicago was in the film? Oh really? Yeah. Um... Gosh, I forget who it was. But yeah, it was just a little snippet where she was in one of the scenes. I, I forget which scene. It was very, very, uh, very minuscule, but she was there. I'm not sure why, but sure, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> it wasn't filmed in Chicago, was it? No. I, I don't no. believe so. I, it doesn't I, look I like Chicago. I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I would assume this was all done in L.A. in a, <laughs> you know, in a, a warehouse of a studio. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, there's definitely some scenes, like specifically the, uh, the the fight scene where we get introduced to the Merovingian again. Um, that that looks like straight up like a set, like a, a big set that they've just yeah. constructed. Yeah, that to yeah, me it was definitely it was. Yeah probably halfway consumed with styrofoam and balsa wood yeah it didn't it wasn't i must admit that that specific sequence wasn't that impressive it was fine when um neo started fight uh smith um and that was pretty cool yeah but like up until then it was a little bit like oof, this looks a little cheap um but obviously they did what they had to do you know yeah they wanted to bring back some of the some of the fight scenes. Cause that was like, honestly, that was the only excuse for bringing the Merovingian back was to bring back his little minions to make everyone fight. Exactly. Cause otherwise what was the point, um, you know? Uh, yeah. Other than just to say that, by the way, these programs, they're, they're still around. Yeah. I, I figure it's a dual for dual purpose. Cause then they're like, yeah, this is what happened to all these programs. that kind of got screwed over by Neo resetting the matrix yeah. because the Merovingian was kind of in a state of, well, he was in a position of power at one point. Um, 
because I'm, if I'm right, and then he got brought down so low that he's a he's a hobo. Yeah, <laughs> a, like a crazy hobo too. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Because didn't the Merovingian in the third? So in Revolutions, when so Reloaded ends and Neo, um, it finds out turns out that Neo can control machines in the real world. So he drops the Sentinel, uh, but then he kind of goes into a coma. Um, I'm pretty sure yeah. the Merovingian kind of they have to barter with the Merovingian to release Neo from that coma state so he can get back into the matrix. Yeah, because he was he was stuck in the train station. That's right, yes. Okay. Yeah, he, he kind of like halfway put himself into the matrix, but he didn't put himself all the way in. Mm-hmm. So he ended up in that midway point, which was the train station, yep. which was owned by the Merovingian. That's right, yep. I really need to watch Revolutions again. Um. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm going to, I, I need to watch it. I think it, <laughs> um, there's definitely parts of that movie that rule, but uh, it's, that's the one I've seen the least of all of the Matrix movies by far. It's, it's my least favorite of all of them. Yeah. I, I, I've definitely thought that Resurrections was better than Revolutions. Oh, it is for sure. For sure it is. So we're going to wrap this up then, Jason. So give me your ranking of Matrix movies then. Top to bottom. Uh, top to bottom. Uh, I got to give it to the first movie as being the best mm-hmm. for me personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the second film for me just kind of, it, it's, it's like a, just, a, I mean, it is a continuation, but for me, they, they're kind of in that same spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I had to choose one, I'd say the first movie is the best then uh, reloaded and then Resurrections, followed by the third one. Revolutions, yeah. Uh, Revolutions, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. Like, I definitely put the first one at the beginning, um, top of the list. Um, but if I'm going to go with my heart and the one I want to watch the most, uh, and, I, and I find myself going back to the most, it would go Reloaded, Original, Resurrections, Revolutions. Um, we'd probably have a tier in terms of, like, what I actually want to watch. Um but that's just because I've seen the, the first one too many times at this point. Like, I, I, I can pretty much, like, as the script's going on, I can pretty much, like, predict what everybody's going to say. I've seen it that many times, you know what I mean? I can kind of, like, recite the movie as it goes, um, which I think a lot of people can at this point. Um, okay, well, I think that about wraps it up. That was a pretty exhaustive look at um, Matrix Resurrections, and hopefully that appeases some of you. I know some people have reached out to me and been like, you guys have got to do it, you guys have got to do it. So we did do it. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it wasn't too boring for anybody who was not really that into the Matrix, but then you wouldn't have listened to it if it was, <laughs> so that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and Jason, I want to take this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for, I know this is like a last-minute thing. We've been kind of trying to get this together for a while, and um, we had some technical issues that we had to try and figure out, so hopefully it works out okay. But thank you very much for coming on, and thank you for taking this past two hours with me even longer almost three hours we've been on uh, our phone call to go through everything with me so i really appreciate that hey it was fun i'm i'm honored to be here thanks for having me on of course anytime anytime um okay well thanks guys um hope you enjoyed the show um i'm not sure what we're going to be doing next on the podcast it's a brave new world um all bets are off for 2022 it seems so stay tuned there will be a new episode um following this hopefully if nobody dies (laughs) okay Thanks, take care.